Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Weird Chronicles. Each episode, we bring you tales of action and adventure from Malifaux and the other side. In Malifaux, bad things happen. Everybody knows this. But many new arrivals fail to imagine just how bad things can get. Today's story follows a newly arrived guild deputy as she realizes that the badness that lurks within Malifaux can corrupt even the most innocent of objects. I hope you enjoy Wicked Dolls. Wicked Dolls, wherein a child goes missing in the night by Ananda McGee. Violet wouldn't have known how far away the smoke was, Earthside, but she wasn't Earthside anymore. Lowering the spyglass, Violet slid the cylinders that composed its body back together. She continued to look at the smoke on the horizon with her naked eyes. From her vantage, she could smell the wet, crusty clay of the outlands, freshly slick from rain. She could also smell the sweet syrup of the cactus flowers and spice-scented scrub brushes that grew naturally on the plain. She could feel the breeze kicking up and moving the tumbleweed. The hair on her forearms and the back of her neck stood on end in response, as if reading and reporting the direction and speed. In the distance, she could hear a child crying in the direction of the smoke. That and something else. The tears she understood. She was on the trail after kidnappers who had nabbed a boy. But the other sound confused her. It sounded like the plinking, metallic melody of a wind-up music box. Shaking her head, Violet dismissed both noises as her imagination and tried to remain objective. Logically, the fire was too far for her to hear anything. Logically. As she'd come through the breach to Malifaux, all of Violet's senses had thrummed to life with new intensity. She felt charged with receptors that must have laid dormant earthside. Her senses fed her a discordant cacophony of information she knew she shouldn't know. It was uncanny, unnerving, and she was tired from the struggle to both conceal and adapt. Dusk was falling. Even in the creeping dim light of evening, Violet could see perfectly the day's rare precipitation had fractured the top layer of earth. The cracked jigsaw puzzle of the broken landscape should easily display tracks. And it did. She could make out the clean line of a single child's prince wandering off alone into the wild. The spoiled and beloved only son of a wealthy mine overseer, gone missing in the night. Wandering off alone? The case made no sense even to her newly heightened senses. Violet sighed, slid the guild-issued spyglass into its sheath, and turned back toward camp to report. She tucked the tool into the pocket of her thick woolen overcoat, and regretted again that the guild hadn't afforded her the time to purchase more appropriate clothes since she'd arrived from London. Even with the rain, her heavy coat, thick riding pants and knee-high riding boots were sweltering, but the thought of walking around in her crisp white blouse, gun holsters and badge exposed disturbed her sense of professionalism even out in this wilderness. Manhunts were her expertise, Earthside. When it came to missing children, she knew she didn't have time to shop. Actually, heavy clothes or not, 
Violet was grateful she'd been put to work on the case fresh off the train. Her new employers hadn't taken much time analysing her since they had needed her so badly. If they had, they might have heard the fresh buzzing of activity that was overloading her brain. Violet knew stories of men and women burning alight with magic as they passed through the breach. Nothing good ever seemed to happen to them, even if they were on the right side of the guild, as she was. In the few moments it took her to walk down the butte to her camp, Violet struggled with how much information she should share with the others. She decided to keep what she'd heard to herself, rather than have to explain it. She decided to focus on the tracks and smoke. These men worked for her, after all. They'd been assigned to help her due to her newness to the terrain, and she did not answer to them. As she approached, the three men in camp turned to regard her. They were so similar. Their attire of wide-brim hats and long duster coats could pass for a uniform. Violet realised she'd been so driven on the hunt that there hadn't been time for her to learn anything about them. I still see the tracks, Violet announced to the men in her clean British accent. A child alone, approximately age eight, barefoot, travelling north. I also detect smoke that way. Probably a campfire. A day's distant ride. I propose we break camp and ride through the night in an attempt to gain ground on the boy. I estimate we'd locate that fire and perhaps recover the child near dawn. The three men looked to each other nervously before the bravest of them ventured a hesitant, respectful response. His American accent was thickened further with a southern twang. Deputy Vale, we shouldn't travel through the night out here. Bad things happen. Her hackles rose to the word deputy. She couldn't help but feel it was a demotion from her earthside rank of inspector, but she dismissed the irritation. If she returned the child to the mine overseer, thereby allowing the man to concentrate on his work again, mine productivity would resume. If mine productivity resumed, the guild would be happy with her performance. Surely she would be recognised in whatever way Malifu did such things. The subject broached, and the other two guild guards chimed in, interrupting her thoughts of success and acclaim. They both added their agreement with the first, but spoke at once so Violet couldn't understand the specifics of what either man said. She got the gist but disagreed. The child was alone and on foot. They were four-armed and mounted adults. The risks, were there any, should be theirs. She walked over to her camp and stooped down to roll up her bedroll. We will break camp and proceed through the night. Violet spoke as she worked. Bad things happen. I'll take that under advisement. If we don't go to retrieve the boy with time on our side, bad things may very well happen to him. I'm not interested in that outcome. The men watched her break down her camp for a moment, before they turned to do the same. They worked to douse the fire and pack their things onto their own steeds. As night cloaked the terrain completely, each man swung up into his saddle, choking back fear in the name of duty. Violet slid lightly into her own English-style saddle and unpegged her reins. She wasn't sure how to explain that she could still see, but her drive to regain the boy overrode caution. After a moment of thought, she lit a lantern for the cover it could afford her, hooked it to the end of her rifle, and swung it forward. Without another word, without looking back, Violet nudged her horse gently out into the night.
They were close enough that when the wind picked up, Violet could smell smoke from the fire. The first time the scent carried, she'd turned back in the saddle to glance at her men to see if they could smell it too. They couldn't. It was dark. Through the night they'd ridden carefully, maintaining a good pace but taking care to preserve their horses. She knew both the men and the horses were tired after hours of riding on high alert, but they were so close now she could taste ash on the air. Violet slowed up her mare and slid off quietly, so she could look at the tracks in the clay again. She'd noticed the slight wicked claw marks along with the boy's barefooted tread the first time she'd been able to take a closer look. She'd never heard of animal kidnappers guiding a boy into the wilderness, but there was a first time for everything. One thing was certain, the clawed feet, as small as a house cat's, were doing much more than just walking. They were circling, jumping, running, and practically dancing around the child. It left her completely unable to count their purpose or their number. She wasn't sure how to package the discovery to the men without sounding insane, so she'd just kept it to herself. She was grateful that they always stayed mounted, rifles ready, when she'd slipped off to look. After failing to make an accurate count of cat-footed kidnappers again, Violet looked up in the dim lantern light. She motioned the tired guardsmen down. The smoky ash in the air told her they were too close to proceed on horseback. The men dismounted. They took a brief moment to wipe down their horses, cutting the sweat off to protect from the chill of the early morning air, and then circled close to her, awaiting instruction. Deputy Vale, I think I see firelight off over the crest of that hill. The brave one, the one she'd labelled Stubble, broke the silence as he whispered to her. He gestured over the rise as he did. Violet had seen the firelight quite a way back, but she'd waited for one of them to notice. She nodded toward a scruffy, stunted tree parallel to them on this side of the hill and walked quietly over to tie off her horse. After her men had followed suit, she moved close to them and issued a plan. You, come with me. We're going to skirt the camp and head the boy off. She gestured to Stubble as she whispered, You and you, wait at the crest up there and move into camp from this side when you see us coming. It should be easy. By his footprints, the boy looks like he's the only person there. As Violet finished her hushed commands, she felt the hair at the back of her neck stand on end. The chill crawled into her from her ears where she was sure she'd just heard the ringing of a jingle bell. Perhaps the boy had wandered off with a comforting toy such as a jack-in-the-box. It would explain both this ringing and the music she'd caught on the wind earlier. Jingling of such a toy could mean the boy was walking. They had to hurry. It was not a jack-in-the-box. She didn't know what it was, what they were. In the worn-down firelight, she could see them clearly but her acuity made the scene no less bizarre. They looked like burlap sack dolls of particularly poor quality, all tied together with twine and stitched from random fabrics in a way that looked unplanned. Flop-headed and appearing to lack any wire armatures, Violet was surprised they were even weighted enough to be placed seated as they were. She'd scanned the camp for clawed animals she could connect to the tracks, but she saw only the toys. It looked like the boy was alone. The fire he must have built for warmth was pitiful and almost out, 
the child was sleeping fitfully on his belly, letting out soft moans and whispers. Violet could see where his sleep clothes had been nicked and torn in the back, offering up his soft flesh to be poked and prodded. The wounds looked like the work of a long day being pushed, pricked and urged forward, but she saw no aggressor. Frustrated, Violet looked the scene over again. Two of the ragged cloth sacks were sitting next to the boy. They were placed to stare at him while he slept. Their button eyes polished enough to reflect mismatched colours in the low firelight. So were their shiny little claws. Their wicked little claws chilled her once she noticed them. Their reflective quality had been cut by the dull coating of dried blood. Violet was caught, frozen in that moment with comprehension and disbelief. Stubble was lying on his belly in the brush next to her. He made a subtle move forward as his eyes fully adjusted and he saw the boy alone. Instinctively, Violet's arm went across his chest, holding him back. Their combined motions rustled the brush, and one of the dolls snapped its head up to look in their direction. The one that had been facing away rolled its fluff-filled head slowly around too, like an owl searching its prey. The first doll's mouth seam pulled up into a loathsome rictus grin, stitches hanging loose like the malformed teeth of a madman. Both dolls began to click their claws together as if clapping in anticipation. Their movement made bells stuffed somewhere inside them jingle. Stubble released an involuntary gasp. In that same moment, her other guards screamed and shots fired from the far side of camp. Violet could feel her pulse beating in her ears, regulating the space between each movement she made to respond to the scene. The bump! Get the boy! Stubble shouted, lurching forward and pulling two peace bringers out of hip holsters as he got to both knees. He fired at the doll whose twisted head was front on back. One of its button eyes exploded and bits of fluff blew out. The shot had jerked it back, but it didn't fall. Scrambling to its feet, the thing rushed toward the man. Ba-bump! Violet vaulted forward herself through the whirling claws of the other doll. She felt the air near it moving somehow and knew where not to be in the exact moment it swiped out. As it slid past her, she heard the jingling of bells from inside it. She sensed it turning around to face her back, readying for another attack. Ba-bump! Violet dove, belly down, to shelter the boy who was now awake from the gunfire and screaming. His wails blended with the shouts from the men who'd been at the other side of the camp. In the fire flashes of their guns, she could see there were more of the little clawed cloth sacks running around. She felt the whirling whiff of razor claws above her back where she'd been standing just the moment before. Ba-bump! Violet scooped up the child in both arms, squatted to her feet, grateful he was light, and took off running. The bear hug she'd applied squished his back wounds and he cried out anew in pain, but Violet couldn't afford to adjust. The doll who'd just stuck the landing after vaulting over her was dimly lit, facing away. Without hesitation, she put her riding boot to its back and stomped it down into the clay, using her momentum against it. Ba-bump! Stubble shot again and cried out behind her. The two men were firing and screaming in front of her. The wicked little things didn't make any noise but jingles, whether hurt or not, 
so the battle sounded very one-sided by all accounts. Violet used the split-second flashes of gunfire in the brush to heighten her awareness of her surroundings. She knew the tree with the horses was over the hill and to the left, so she scanned the route for danger. Bump. Violet was standing on the downward doll, thinking it done. She hefted the boy higher onto her shoulder and prepared to run forward again. The cloth sack beneath her boot surprised her with a wicked slice, striking backward and up from its face-down posture. The angle of attack could only be performed by something boneless and inhuman, a plaything contorting its own wicked form. She looked down in horror and saw the leather of her riding boot being sliced open, felt the claws cut into her skin. Bump. She jumped up and back in a panic. The slice into her ankle seemed to have missed her crucial tendons, but it succeeded in getting her off of the doll. She saw the alien thing wiggling and working itself out of the clay to strike at her again. In terror, Violet reared her good foot back and landed a champion kick, sending it flying off into the night. At her ankle, she could feel the sticky beginnings of a boot full of blood. The bump. One of the men before her fell. A final shot rang out from his peacebringer before two of the things descended onto his chest, slashing him open with tiny arms to get at his insides. She moved forward again, arms still full of the limp and sobbing boy. She heard the man who was still standing shout, Go! as she pushed forward to the top of the hill. The bump. As she passed the guard, a grisly wet splatter erupted from him and covered her and the boy in gore. Mortified, Violet hesitated for a moment to glance in his direction. She instantly regretted it. A doll had crawled up his body to slice him open at the neck, and the wound was spewing jets of blood. The man was still on his feet, clutching his throat with both hands as if he could catch back his life. Ba-bump. He fell. An unnerving jingle rang out from behind her. Too close. So Violet forced her feet moving again. From the top of the hill, she could see the tree with the horses. In the second she spared to scan the distance for danger, she felt a rush of air from behind and sidestepped one of the dolls as it pounced. It missed its tackle and tumbled past her, rolling off target all the way down the hill. Ba-bump! Violet ran to the horses, not looking back. She could hear jingles coming from the campsite getting closer. She tossed the boy over her saddle and cut the lead rope from the tree with her boot knife. She couldn't risk the time to undo the knot. She heard a shot ring out from where Stubble had been, then the click, click, click of his trigger landing on empty chambers. It was followed by the primal roar of a man who knows he's at the end. Ba-bump! Only after taking the saddle and kicking her mare into movement did she turn the horse back to risk a look. If there was anyone left worth rescuing, she knew it was in her heart to try. Her horse bolted forward to the top of the hill. She wrapped her arm around the boy and righted him in front of her as they moved. Locking her mouth against her own agonized wail, Violet clenched her eyes closed and spurred her horse into a run. There was no one left to save. Bad things happen.
Violet replayed Stubble saying it over and over in her head as she rode back. In hindsight, she was glad she'd never learned his real name. She'd never learned any of their names. She was numb. Her ankle ached. Rocking gently in the saddle, coated in blood, she cradled the terrified boy. He clung to her as much as she did to him. She found herself holding her breath for long paces, just to cut out taste and smell from her overactive senses. Everything smelled like blood. Everything tasted like blood. She should have listened. She clutched the boy's thin frame to her chest and hoped the prize was worth it. Deputy Vale, we know there are things out there that are difficult to explain. Impossible, even. This isn't London, this is Malifaux. You'll get the difference. The guildsman leaned back in his chair across the desk from where she stood. He rifled the pile of paperwork in front of him as he spoke. She could see the top two sheets were her freshly written account. The guildsman was eyeing her like she was a wine glass that would break if he could only find the right pitch. But Violet stood quietly and revealed nothing. She noted that she could count the individual hairs in his thick brows behind his wiry glasses. She could hear the ticking wheeze in his breath that indicated he'd recently gotten over a cold. When his fingertips moved, she caught the faintest whiff of the balm he used to separate ledger pages. Before he'd entered the room, all she could see were nightmare flashes. All she could hear were the men screaming. She was relieved to find that her senses were finally catching up to her, returning from the horror she'd recently witnessed. After a stalemate in silence, she hedged and offered a few words. Is that a question, sir? Violet closed her throat against the tremble that had crept up on her voice. She controlled each syllable with care. No. He looked at her face and hesitated. I guess not. Not really. More of an offering of unsolicited advice. He thumbed the top sheet of paper and flipped it up, glancing again at the page behind it. You did good, all in all. You got the boy back. Alive, even. The foreman is bound to show his gratitude by increased operations at the mine, and, according to your accounting, the men who kidnapped him are dead. Of course, I'll send condolences to our guildsman's kin, if they have any. He paused and looked her over silently, trying to detect sorrow or regret on her face. Violet shifted her weight nervously from one foot to the other in front of him, but she truly was too numb to feel. The man nodded to himself and continued. If this... He thumbed her report again as he eyed her. If this is your final word on the matter, you're free to go. Get situated in your new quarters, Deputy Vale. Get cleaned up. Get some well-deserved rest. He stood to afford a proper dismissal before he finished. I look forward to a bright future from you. Welcome to Malifaux where bad things happen. Violet finished his statement in her thoughts. Rest, yes, Violet answered. She was alarmed at how tired she sounded. She had been on her feet and in action since the moment she'd left the train three days prior. Thank you, sir. I won't disappoint. 
Violet shifted her weight from one riding boot to the other once more, before nodding to the man and turning to the door. Each time she had, the wound to her ankle stung, and the pain was helping her stay alert. Once she was out in the hall, Violet sighed and closed her eyes for a moment. She leaned her aching back against the wall. As soon as her eyes closed, the slashing of tiny razor claws and fabric swiped at her, unbidden from her memory banks. Her eyes snapped open. She shuddered. In defense against the visions, she forced herself moving again. She limped. Down the hall to where she could collect her things, ferried for her from the train. Over to the entry desk to get directions to her assigned place. Out into the gaslit streets to find her way. Finally, being able to sleep would wash away the nightmare, she thought, trying to remain reasonable. If she could sleep. That's it for another episode of The Weird Chronicles. Join us next time for more tales of action and adventure. <laughs>